I'm Kate Martin-Williams. I'm Fulu. And this is Effing Shakespeare Shorts. Today, we're so lucky to be able to welcome to the Effing Shakespeare Shorts edition of the show, poet Matthew Lippman. He's the author of six books of poetry. His new collection of poems, Mesmerizingly Sadly Beautiful, is the winner of the Levis Prize from Four Way Books and is forthcoming in June. He's currently recording parking lots poems in a parking lot near you, and we're excited to talk about that and lots more. Matthew Lippman, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. The book is actually it it's was out. released in March, correct? Oh, how about it? I got all kinds of things wrong in your intro. <laughs> <laughs> We're just flying by the seat of our pants here. It's good. It's good. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, how are you and where are you in this crazy time of ours? I'm thankfully well. So is my family and people I know. We're in Boston, Massachusetts. So things are locally, knock on wood, pretty good. It's rough out there. We know people not family or friends who have been infected by COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And I know it's been my best friend, actually. And it's been it's been rough. He's 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 good now. But for two weeks, he was not good. And my wife actually does chaplaincy work at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Oh, wow. In downtown Boston. And mm-hmm. so she's there two, three days a week. And it's really not good. No, and intense, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. So we're trying to balance out feeling grateful and privileged and also being aware of what is going on beyond our little bubble. Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking a moment to to bring a little poetry in the world. We're hoping that can do some good in the middle of dark days. Yes. Yeah. Poetry is always a good thing. I'd love to hear more about your book that's already out now, Mesmerizingly Sadly Beautiful. I got to read a little bit of it, but I'm anxious to hear more. Before we get to that, can you just tell us a little bit about the origin for this collection? Like most of my collections, I I write all the time. And this prize notification call for manuscripts came came in front of my eyes in 2017. And so I just thought, what the hell? And I, I culled together what I thought were the best poems. I had been writing a lot about, I teach high school students. And I was writing a lot about what was going on. There were a lot of, you know, the school shootings and the Trump presidency. And so I I Mm -hmm. brought together what I thought were the best poems, put them together, sent it in. And about seven months later, I heard from Martha Rhodes, who's the amazing editor, founder of Four-Way Books, that I had won the prize. Dorian Lux, the the final judge had chosen it. And Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the story behind the book. Nothing profound or flashy. <laughs> <laughs> but lovely to be endorsed and to receive a prize from such an amazing judge as well. That's even better. You can't beat it. I was so ecstatic. And, you know, 15, 900, nine, between 900 and 1,500 people submit to these things. So right. if you win it, then it's a beautiful thing. And... <laughs> I was uh, blessed enough to to win it, so, yeah. Well, in these short episodes, we're just trying to really give listeners a, a good feel for the work. Do you mind taking us through a few few of those, uh, those poems to give us a nice cross-section? Sure, sure. Someone will love you many times. Someone will love you many times. 
Many times over and over a red flame, over a million dollars, and someone will love you a million dollars. You will be loved from all over and from pockets and sandwiches, and someone will stick her hand through a plate glass window to love you and from between two sheets. Over and over and many times love will come at you from a rooftop with billowy sheets, and Miley Cyrus will love you, and so will Spiro Agnew. Many times the earth will love your stomach for many times and for the thousands of times you have answered the door and no one was there. For the many times you were down on your knees between the tile and the toilet, someone will take your hair and hold it behind your head many, many times over and over. Someone will walk with you down the summer path, all those pink and purple wildflowers getting wild for you, getting wild for your love and for the stench of your absence. You will send it back time and time again, when the buildings shake, when the show is over, when the shadows creep tall into your tall brain and mess it up. It is a truth that cannot be untruthed, that someone will love you many times, no matter how tired they are, the way a blade of grass takes itself not too seriously and grinds out other blades of grass. Look at them out there, all stupid and green in the backyard. Count them all. I bet you can't. That's how many times you will be loved. Count them all. I bet you can't. By someone who couldn't be more serious about love and is. Mm. And this is a, another, another love poem. It's called, If You Don't Want Your Kids to Have Sex, Don't Finish the Basement. <laughs> this guy Lev at the dinner party said, If you don't want your kids to have sex, don't finish the basement. I don't remember anything anymore, my 52-year-old brain a soggy piece of kale, but I remembered what Lev said. It's because Lev is the heart in Lvov, where all the stories come from. Here's the story. We were eating the salmon, and he was talking about his kids all grown up, and my kids were in the basement playing ping-pong, not yet 13. There was beer and wine and gluten-free challah and gluten-free tiramisu, and the walls were red and gluten-free. That's the whole story. The other story is that when a guy says something like this, you have to remember where you were when you first had sex. It could have been in a car, in an attic, between two trees, under the moon, near the factory, inside the deep blue sea, in the onion patch. Sex is an onion. It's a translucent and sweet thing and will make you cry your face off. It's a swimming pool on fire and a gorilla who knows how to speak seven languages. If you are lucky enough to have sex in a finished basement, this is a good thing. If you have sex in an unfinished basement, not so good. All that dust, those exposed water heaters, boilers, and rusted rakes. So when Lev said, if you don't want your kids to have sex, don't finish the basement, I took a bite of my salmon, and here's the last part of the story. My kids are going to grow up and have sex. A sad and wide-eyed ecstatic sex if they're lucky. And so I left the table in the dark middle of winter to finish the basement. Buy some rugs, some cheap pillows, and a jukebox. One of those old-school Wurlitzers with the automatic eye. Fill it up with all the songs that make your heart burst, I will tell them. Play your music till the needle runs those records bare, bone, beauty, and glisten. That's what we need right now. Those are the poems we need right now, I think. We say it many times on the show, but I do think poetry can save the world, you know? You know, for a long time, I I didn't believe that. And then 
in 2000, I, I don't remember the year, forgive me, but the Boston Marathon bombing occurred. Mm-hmm. And I had to go into school the next day and face all of these 11th and 12th graders. And some of them were down at the finish line mm-hmm. when the bombs blew up. I, I didn't really, no, nobody knew what to do. We were all in a state of shock. And so poems, and they were so healing for these mm-hmm. kids. And writing these poems and having them share them helped to create this kind of cathartic, communal experience. It really kind of illustrated to me how these words, these poems can save the world. Absolutely. You got a couple more? Yep. This is a small one about baseball. It's called The Ocean is a Flower called Roberto Clemente. Mm -hmm. He was a great outfielder for the Pittsburgh Pirates in the late 60s and early 70s. Roberto Clemente kicked my ass last night. He came out of the darkness like a train whistle with his 21 Pittsburgh jersey tucked in and laid me out with a left hook. I fell to the grass and screamed, what's your problem, Roberto? (laughs) Couldn't sleep, he said get a motel. He said, my plane crashed. I am dead. Go home, I said. He said, I come from Carolina, Puerto Rico. So what's the problem, I said. He said, my name is Roberto. I have three sons and 3,000 base hits. My name is Roberto Clemente. And when his plane took off from San Juan, overloaded with bananas and gauze for the earthquake victims of Managua, it was New Year's Eve and his eyes were bloodshot bullets under the canopy of the Atlantic Ocean. When the sharks got their teeth into him, the turtles, the manatees, and stingrays, the vapor trail of his gate around second base brushed back the wind. Ten hours later, my father woke me to say, El Padre Roberto no longer swings for the fences. I was seven. I have been seven ever since. Beautiful. Thank you. I guess I'll read one more called Blonde for All the Boys. Frank Ocean didn't mean anything to me till Dave said, check out self-control. And we sat in the hot October sun and listened, which was weird because Dave doesn't usually hang around. He's busy with his son and his paper route and the gliders in his mind that take him from one uninhabited island off the coast of India to Friday night dinners at Jones. But he stayed, sat with me, and then the chorus blew over the clouds and trees right into us. He said, just be here with this. And Frank was singing the word summertime, like love had won. And I looked over at Dave with his feet up on the table. He was singing along, summertime, barely moving his lips, and I thought he was going to cry. In my mind, I was saying, come on, Dave. You can do it. You can do it. Some weird desire in me to be in a room with another man who cries. You see why I'm so desperately alone in this world? Lying on two thigh-thick oak branches most days, 40 feet up, all alone in a tree in the rain. For a second, I could feel Dave in that oak with me until he had to be busy again. For a second, it was cool. Didn't matter what color Frank Ocean's hair was, pink, green, blonde for all the boys who want to cry, then sit up in bed and cry. Mm, Thank you so much. I I can't wait to go get my hands on a copy of this book. I've really enjoyed getting to know your work. 
Thank you. Can I tell you a little story, just a short story? Please. I love stories. Something that happens on the show is we have guests come in and talk, and then another guest will bring up something that the former guest or the previous guest had talked about. And we have this kind of ongoing conversation that makes sense to the listeners, but not so to the guests all the time. And it's usually based on happy coincidences. And that happened with our previous guest, Jabari Asim. He brought up Bobby McFerrin as the thing that was giving him a little bit of joy right now. He'd been listening to Bobby McFerrin albums in the morning with his cup of coffee. And I was diving into some of your work and the rabbit hole that is the internet sent me to your TEDx talk. (laughs) And there's Bobby McFerrin. And there's Bobby McFerrin. And I thought, holy shit, we should talk about this. Oh, yeah. So my question to you is what's giving you a little bit of life? And I will answer first by saying your TEDx talk and the, the clip of Bobby McFerrin doing his music thing that he did was amazing. And I'm going to share it with my kids and, and share your whole talk, which also has something to do with what we discussed already, which is that music can save the world in a way that poetry can as well. So yeah, I just wanted to share that with you i appreciate that that's cool i'm glad you watched that tedx talk Um, yeah that was a lot of fun yeah how did you so so you're a poet but you chose to talk about music saving the world how did that how did that come about if i could do this all over again this creative (laughs) journey i I would be a musician Mm -hmm. the other day my wife asked me and we're in our mid-50s and she asked me so what do you want to do next with your life and my answer was that i i want to be involved in some kind of collaborative experience venture Mm -hmm. because this poetry writing thing has been such a solitary journey. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I I feel blessed that I've been able to write and, and have my work seen and be published and all that. But there's something about working with other people that I yearn for and miss and music and being involved in a band or working with other musicians because I'm a creative person, because I love music, is what I really would want to do with my life. If I if I had, again, to do it over again. I think mm-hmm. that music, unlike poetry, is the most generous art form. Mm-hmm. It just brings people together in a way that poetry doesn't. I think poetry actually pushes people away because it's a, it's a foreign... And what I, what I mean is that it pushes large groups of people away. People are not drawn to poetry in the same way that they're drawn to music. So, you know, I listen to a lot of jazz and I'm always going back to uh, Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers because that that group of people or that group was a constant studio for experimentation. And, and Blakey had people coming in and out and you know he was very conscious of the fact that this is a collaborative thing and it needs to be changing all the time and we need to be experimenting all the time but we need to be doing all of this with other folks and so that's how i feel or mm-hmm. why i feel like music is really the only thing that can bring us together i mean that mcferrin clip it's astounding it's astounding Right. Yeah. It's astounding. And he, he says at the end, you know, everywhere I go, the same thing happens. Yeah. It doesn't matter the audience or their musical aptitude, right? They just, everyone does the same thing. We'll link to it in the episode notes, but if you're driving in your car, 
please make a mental note as you listen to this to look this up and find it. It's really good. We'll have it on the show. I appreciate that. Yeah. Just have the McFerrin clip. You don't even need my talk. It's, the, <laughs> it's, it's you know, it's five minutes of just pure joy. How did you find your way to that clip? How did you know about that? I actually, I have no idea. I Either somebody <laughs> sent it to me or uh-huh. in my YouTube rabbit hole perusal, I just happened upon it. But yeah, I, don't, yeah. I, have, I have no idea. I have no idea. I love it. Yeah. Tell me about Parking Lot Poems. Parking Lot Poems is, I mean, that is a project that I started for myself. It's old at this point. It was like three, four summers ago. I was really bored during the <laughs> summer. I have a summer job. I would get there early, park my car, not want to go in, and just write a poem. And then my ego got in the way, and I really wanted my work to be out there in the world. And so I recorded them and just threw them up on YouTube. I must have, over the course of 10 weeks, written 50 poems. And that that really was just to keep me sane. And... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but again, it was at some point I was, I, I was like, God, you, you really got a lot of hubris thinking that people want to hear these things. And so I, I stopped. I ran out of gas. And, but you uh, never know who needs it right then, right? You know, I, I think that there is a disconnect a lot of times between poets and their work and audiences. And to sort of eliminate the distance between your work and the world, even if it's a small thing like posting a poem on YouTube every now and then is a good exercise, you know, for, right. for people who, right. who may be stuck in rejection land or whatever to... Right get the work out there and not have it be so precious that it never sees the light of day. Correct. So it's a good balance. Yeah. 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 I mean, I feel like my whole project, my whole personal creative poetic project is to write poems that are as generous and accessible Mm -hmm. to a large group of people as possible. I, Mm -hmm. I, I want them to be songs, you know, <laughs> but yeah. I, I can't write music. So I'm doing the best I can. I love it. Yeah. Well, what, uh, what's something that's giving you joy these days? Listening to music mm-hmm. all the time, hanging out with my family. I've really enjoyed spending this time with them. And just sort of personally, we have a little broken down backyard and on nice days, I, I really like to go out there and sit in my plastic Adirondack chair and mm-hmm. listen to the birds and the wind. But then I always feel guilty because there's so much bad stuff happening. But that's what's giving me joy. And cooking. And cooking. Yeah, yeah. that is a theme as well. Yeah. What's giving you joy? I think we have had an unseasonably lovely April in Houston. So being able to be outside in our yard and hang with the kids and do sidewalk chalk without kind of being unburdened of our crazy ass schedules has been its own sort of vacation. Even though, like you said, I feel guilty saying that it does feel like a, a respite that was much needed. Yeah. Despite 
the weirdness of it all. But and it's also been giving me joy to get to talk to poets that I didn't know and, and might not have found my way to. So thank you for being on the show, Matthew. I really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time. Absolutely. Effing Shakespeare Shorts is a production of Bloomsday Media, hosted by Kate Martin-Williams and Jessica Cole. And me, Fu Lu. Production assistance by Lily Wolfmeyer.